Sports are back. Don't miss exclusive, in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. Subscribe now and save. Sign up now to see for yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. And if you go to theathletic.com slash NBA show, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription. Sports are back, and you won't want to miss breaking stories on your favorite teams. So go to theathletic.com slash NBA show for 40% off an annual subscription. We hope to see you there. Welcome to the Athletic NBA Show. Monday through Friday. On the Athletic Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Nerd She Wrote podcast on the Athletic NBA Show. I'm your host, Dave DeFore, joined as I am each and every week by Mo DeKeel and Seth Partnow, who are laughing at me right now. Very I've hard. Strugg- I've been struggling. <laughs> laughing very hard at you. <laughs> I've been struggling this morning. Uh, I need some coffee. Guys, how's everybody doing? I'm doing great. This has been a good good 20 minutes of watching you struggle i i am enjoying this i don't know about seth but i'm loving every second of this i feel this is like how you you if you're fishing and someone keeps trying to cast and catches their their hook on some bushes behind them and then just swears at themselves this is that's sort of the feeling i have right now watching i can't wait struggle to to get us into the show listen now now you guys know how i feel each and every week carrying you two there you go. Uh, please, all right. <laughs> please, Dave, please. All right, guys. So, look, we've we've had our the first week of the restart is in the books. And, you know, I, I feel like it's been a very eventful week. Overall, I've been extremely impressed by the quality of the basketball. Now, granted, it's not no, – no one's at midseason form, clearly. But I do think the effort has been commendable. I think the quality of play has been pretty good, and it's been compelling. We've had a lot of close games, way more than than we would normally have during the regular season. So, Mo, I guess I'll, I'll start with you. Um, how do you feel about the first week of the restart? I think it's been great. I mean, we've gotten unbelievable basketball, like you said. Everything. I wasn't too worried about the competitiveness of the guys, because I just know when you roll out the balls, scrimmage with fans there or not, guys hoop. Like, this is what they do. And I'm, so I'm not surprised about that. But overall, I thought just the the gameplay was well was good there's this going to be hiccups there's still rust these guys got to work off and stuff i've really enjoyed the benches getting into it and and seeing the excitement from those guys i mean the robin lopez running near half court after a, a basket in the bucks rockets game you know things like that like i think we're, we're we're getting a lot of fun stuff that we may not normally get in a regular season game and i think overall it's been a phenomenal week of games really for the most part even even some of the blowouts, there just haven't been many. It's been smooth. Seth, what, what do you think about the action so far? T.J. Warren uh, has turned into the greatest scorer in NBA history. You know, someone described him as having uh, the YMCA game, and now that the gym has the dimensions of a YMCA gym, he's he's back to his roots and just you know relentlessly getting buckets. You know, it's funny. I, I mentioned that no Sabonis has changed their offense quite a bit. I think it's just kind of it's opened up the spaces that TJ Warren likes to operate in. And, and it's pretty clear that he's got the green light. I mean, ultraviolet green light, even it, 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 it was really interesting in that Sixers game because every time they went on a run, miles Turner was out, you know, like it was just one of those things like them playing smaller and, and faster and everything like that. As soon as they got rid of a, 
uh, a, a big man, you know, so no Sabonis, you know, no Turner, all of that kind of opened everything up for them to go. And like you said, super green light. I mean, they didn't have Brogdon in those games. You know, Oladipo's still working back from an injury. So, you know, might as well let the chef cook sometimes, Dave. Well, the thing is, like, we know that he can score. We just didn't know he could score with this sort of volume. I, I wonder, again, it's small sample size, but I wonder if this doesn't make that coaching staff rethink things this summer and, and maybe try to get him more touches. I mean, maybe maybe he's going to be more of a featured guy for them next season. That makes all of their sort of roster stuff even more interesting. Um, they already have like several pairings that, how do they, well, two pairings that, how does this work together? And now, well, actually now we, if if we actually think this other guy who is not even really in that conversation is now featured, well, then you have even, that that sort of adds in kind of a, a, a third or fourth dimension to that kind of calculus that you have to put forth as far as what your team looks like going forward. It's on one level a good problem to have, to have more options, but there's also more rooms for more room for bigger mistakes the more kind of complex the 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 permutations become. But I mean he's already a twenty point a game scorer. His usage is right around twenty three percent and you know, it was like twenty three ish last season uh in Phoenix and twenty five the season before that. So I mean he he's not an extremely high usage guy, but he he scores, you know, with the opportunities given to him. I think it's worth at least taking a peek at it, especially for a team that has had these offensive struggles that, that they have had traditionally. So what are you suggesting, Dave? Like, are, are you looking to move some of these guys? Like, who are you Who are you doing? Like, because it's hard because you have Brogdon and Oladipo, who you still have to figure out how that works. You have Sabonis and Turner. You're still trying to figure out what's going on with that. Like, my, my question to you, Dave, is just what are you – Suggest like how would you go about this? Well, I, I would uh, I would be very open to moving Oladipo if he's not willing to uh, to commit to to resigning because um, you can't in that market you can't just lose him. I mean, you know they did really well I think with the Paul George trade. Getting Sabonis and Oladipo back is is huge value, and maybe there's a path to doing something similar with Oladipo, and maybe that cleans up your roster a little bit. I mean, they just paid Brogdon. I doubt they're going to be able to move. Bro- I mean. Anybody is movable. Let's just start there. I don't know that they're going to want to move Brogdon this summer. Uh, we have all talked quite a bit about Sabonis and Turner and the ill fit there and that they need to do something. Now, I think I differ from a lot of people because I would not move Turner. I think Turner has the the higher ceiling uh, potential, and I think that he could, could potentially increase the ceiling of the team in general. So, you know, if, if I was his team – I don't know. I, I would at least consider it. Well, you bring up an interesting thing, and I'm going to ask Seth this one. Seth, like, what's your? At what point do you just kind of go? We we know this guy has a higher potential, but we just don't think he's ever going to get there or reach there. You know, because Turner's been around a while, right? And just so people know, because this one has to be said in, in, in the show, the cat is on Seth's shoulder while I'm asking Seth the question. Nothing makes me happier in my life. I'm just, we're so close, folks, to the cat attacking. Um, <laughs> but when do you look at a player and just kind of go like, man, like, we, we know he has great potential, but is he ever going to get there? Like, we talked about Jeff Green's potential for 12 years. Still talking like. about it. Yeah. Still you know, like, is that something you look at with Turner or when do teams, when do you feel like teams got to look at it and pull the plug? I think that especially with guys they have drafted, I think teams tend to be too stubborn about that. Yeah, it could happen, but at this point, maybe it's worth, you know, pay, someone else paying to, to, to find out. Um, oh, God. I mean, he's at the same 23 time, years old. Yeah. 
But uh, no, that's a general statement. Sure. Okay. Um, in the specific statement, like I don't think that they've that that Indiana has ever really, you know, there's there's a fairly obvious way of maximizing Turner as kind of the as a spacing five in a in a four or five out system, and they've never really done that. I would want to give that a look, and maybe these these you know, this next week of bubble games and their their presumably first round playoff series will be a chance to look at that with you have, you know, mostly perimeter guys around him with with Sabonis not there. Maybe that gets you a cleaner look at that. And then you can uh, decide, you know, with some information, whether that's that's something that's a look going forward. And then that means you, you know, probably have to move Sabonis and on and on. Um, but in general, I think teams tend to be well, he's been pretty good for us, and and we drafted him, so we'll sign him to an extension and kind of go from there and figure it out. Um, happens more often than it should. Well, the Philly game aside, because Embiid just—I mean, it gives he gives him fits. Embiid is just the Miles Turner killer, and he fouled him out in that game. That game aside, he's been pretty good. I mean, seventeen and nine against the Wizards, twenty-one and six. You know, but. Again, the inversion of of the uh, of his position a little bit, and they get him out on the wing. Um, you know, I think he's been good. I, I also think defensively for them, he he can raise their ceiling because of his abilities as a shot blocker. He's very good at timing out. You know, his his weak side help. So, you know, I, I've been a Miles Turner believer for for Indiana for a few years now. The Oladipo thing I, is definitely something they're going to have to figure out this summer. And if I think if he's not going to stick around, we might get we might see him get moved during the offseason. Yeah, and just so folks, Indiana folks, don't come at me with your pitchforks. I'm not saying Turner's bad or anything like that. You know, like I like him as a player as well. I'm just curious when these guys will they hit their potential or or whatnot. That, that's I mean that's kind of if you could figure that out, I think you could get uh, just about any you can make NBA thousands of job. dollars. Yeah, any NBA job. <laughs> Uh, okay. So I guess overall, what is your impression so far of the balance between offense and defense? I mean, this is something that we talked about, you know, I told you guys how I felt Mo, I think you were on the same page as me, Seth, you have suggested that, that the data for start of season, preseason stuff would tell us otherwise. Well, I'm going to start with Seth because I know you've looked at the numbers. So what is it telling us so far? Is the defense behind? Is the offense ahead? By the way, and this is not like a I'm right, you're wrong thing. This is more just I'm curious here. That was a subtle victory lap. But okay. <laughs> no, there, he, shouldn't, he shouldn't take a victory lap because no, scoring is up primarily because pace yeah, is up. Right. And pace is up primarily for predictable reasons, uh, which is turnover rates have been you know higher uh, than, than during the season, although they're, I think, starting to come down towards normal ranges pretty quickly. But the other thing that's goosed pace has been all of the foul calls, and especially all of the non-shooting foul calls. The bonus foul rates are uh, are are much higher. And that, and that gooses pace by, okay, you, you, know, you, you fight through a screen off the ball and get called for a foul 15 seconds on the shot clock. Okay, in a normal environment, that's second team foul inbound. Let's go. Now that they're calling all these all these more fouls, now it's two shots, and that's a seven second possession. So or a nine second possession because I'm good at math. But like overall, like offensive rating has been you know in line with what it's been for this group of teams throughout the season, and I think that's a little bit ahead of where I thought it would be. But I don't think um, I think that that's been sort of buoyed by lightness of the whistle um and i know mo disagrees with me on as to why 
Um, I think, and I, I've been told by people that are down there, that it's so quiet in those gyms that the refs are reacting to contact. They're seeing the same contact, but they're hearing more of it. And so a lot of the stuff that would be incidental, you know, with fans in the arena and that sort of ambient buzz is, oh, I heard that smack. That, that had to have been a foul. Well, that is actually kind of my next question here, and, and I'll start with Mo. Why is the fouling up? Because to my eye, it just seems like the rotations on defense are late. And guys, when they're late, have a tendency to reach because to, they're out of position. They're trying to make a play. And and it's that. But I also think that the, the whistle is much easier, too. It's, it's been easy for guys to, to bait the refs into whistling, which you would think wouldn't, wouldn't be as easy. Like on the flops, the Chris Paul end of game uh, where, where he grabbed Paul Millsap by the jersey against the Nuggets, I mean, that was egregious. And I just wouldn't think he could get away with that with no crowd. You are both right. Seth, I think the crowd not being there, the sounds and everything, I think for sure plays an effect to all of this. You know what I mean? Like the the refs being able to hear everything. I also think that's why we've gotten a few more technicals, you know, because they're hearing all the trash talk and things like that. And they're like, whoa, hey, nah, buddy, tee that guy up. Uh, I think, Dave, you're right in that sense. The Chris Paul pulling on the jersey thing, that's such a quick bang, bang thing. I don't know how much of the crowd has the influence to it in terms of you just can't see it. I didn't see it in real time. It wasn't like I yelled it in real time going like, oh, he grabbed his jersey. I didn't like the foul call. I think they've been light on it. I mean, they, they, they've had a heavy whistle. They've been blowing it quick, you know, pretty quickly on a lot of things. But the, the other thing, too, is you alluded to the defensive rotations are late. And it's not even necessarily just fouls because I see it all the time with all the clips I'm pulling. They're they're running to the help situations. And, you know, I'm going to steal this from uh, Steve Jones Jr. who stole it from somebody else. But if you're running to help, you've already, you've, you've blown it. You know, and these guys are at these spots too late. Everybody's pulled too far to the side and not in help position. And all of that leads to situations where you end up getting fouled. I also think fatigue plays in a role where you're just tired and you foul and things like that. So there's a bunch of reasons that we're not accustomed to to seeing this late in the season, seeing the free throw rate so high up, I think. And I, I think all of this plays a role into it. So the sound and everything, I think all of it is part of it. I've noticed some of that, but it's also, I'm wondering if it's a little bit of kind of the the Strayson effect of now that we're sort of primed to look for bad defense, we're noticing more of that. Because in like statistical terms, there isn't really any difference in the overall shot quality that teams are getting. And I think that we would start to, I think we would see kind of more better open shots on top of the fouls if it was just defenses being out of position. So, um, and and I think that, that that frankly, like the turnover rate would probably not be not be elevated, and offensive rebounded rates would be elevated. So, so kind of these other sort of tangential indicators that you might expect with kind of bad defense are equivocal. But I don't so, know. I don't know if the turnovers I was gonna say, have anything yeah. have anything to do with the the defense. To be honest with you, I'm just watching guys chuck the ball all over the place. So I think some of that is, you know, I'm driving. I'm used to you being here. You know, you're not there. I'm still throwing. You know, I, some of the turnovers I've seen. You know, I'm just like, man, that's just not. That's a rhythm thing. That's not used to these guys anymore. Like that's. More that I don't know how much turnovers I would say play a role into that's good defense. I would almost want to see what the unforced turnovers look like because from my eye, again, this is 
I don't have the numbers to back it up, but from watching, it does seem like a lot of what Mo just mentioned. It's guys on offense not getting to the spots that they're supposed to. Uh, guys being on offense also being late, making cuts. Um, the defense has been really physical. I will say that. I, I've noticed more physicality. I think that that also is a part of guys being a little bit out of position and just trying to make up for it. So you'll see the grabs. You'll see, you know, it, it's almost uh, a little bit of uh, the Steph Curry treatment away from the ball with shooters, which is smart. That I mean, that's probably how they, you ought to defend those guys anyway. You know, the Miami Heat style, we're going to foul so much that they can't call everything. Uh, but they are calling everything in the bubble. So, Seth, you got some numbers on the turnovers? Yeah, uh, so on the shooting still. On the shooting, um, okay. Yeah, no, I, I think, but what you're describing just is it's playoff style defense in regular season style refing almost. Yeah, That's, there you go. That that is that is apparently not a good combination for good game flow. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, I was going to say, uh, according to a source with access to uh, to the second spectrum data. Uh, there's a metric called QSQ, quantified shot quality. It's it's basically what the average player would shoot on a given set of shots. Uh, in the regular season, the midpoint for the 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 the, the NBA was the expected average shot would be about a 51.43 effective field goal percentage shot. In the bubble so far, it's been 51.36. So almost no change at all. In overall shot quality. Now, uh, you know, you can go all different ways with what the, that distribution looks like. But I would think that if, again, if there were these like massively out of position defensive things that were causing late rotations that were leading to these fouls, that would be higher also. I mean, that's, that's very possible. Again, it, you know, the eye test is not perfect. Um, but I do think that there's a lot of. It's almost like a communication error to a degree. All of this could be right. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it's, well, this it's a combination. Six, yeah, it's, 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 it's not just one thing. Yeah. You know, I think the I think the other thing we haven't really talked about, too, is the the referees are getting back into the flow of things, you know, and, and that's a whole thing we haven't really looked at. And I mean, we have just seen the media as a whole. I barely see anything talk about referee life right now and where they're at in this situation and coming back to it, you know, I, I think I saw somewhere that they're, they're watching a lot of film and whatnot, you know, during the quarantine it's, it, they're getting acclimated and getting and working rust off as well. So I think there's just a lot of this, all this stuff is kind of slowly going to smooth out at some point. I don't know when, <laughs> but it's, I think at some point, probably by the time we get into the playoffs, it'll start to smooth out and things will, will look a little better. The defenses will be better. I, I more crisp, the the offenses will flow. I think the turnovers will come down as teams get again back into the flow and rhythm of things. I just think all of this kind of rolls into the product we're seeing on the court. Uh, that's a great point, Mo. We've got a little break coming up. After the break, we're going to do our new segment, Is This a Thing? We have a new sponsor here at the Athletic NBA Show. It's called Artifact. Artifact sets you up with one of their professional interviewers to make a podcast episode about whatever you want. If Mo wants to go on there and talk about woodworking, he could do it. If Seth wants to go talk about his calculator collection, guess what? He could go to HeyArtifact.com, tell them a few basic things about what he wants the show to be about, and then do an interview. The whole thing is super easy, only takes a few minutes. Seth is going to share this episode on his calculator collection in a few weeks, but you can go to HeyArtifact.com right now and hear some samples. There's a ton of ways to use Artifact to capture stories with your friends and family. And when you're ready to make an Artifact of your own, 
Use the code NBA to get $40 off. That's HeyArtifact.com and use the code NBA for $40 off. Okay, I ask you the question, Seth. Free throws seem to be improved. Is this a thing? Shooting backgrounds are always an interesting uh, topic. You know, it's something that comes up in, in the NCAA game every year when they suddenly move to the regionals or the Final Four and they're playing in these big, you know, aircraft hangar domes and and wondering if the shooting background is going to mess up shooters. Uh, Ken Pomeroy has done some research on this and the answer is maybe. Um, and so then, and I think you floated this thought a couple weeks ago that since there's such a such a, a lack of, of depth of field behind the baskets in, in these gyms, we might see some better shooting. I don't know if we have enough to say about like general shooting just because there's so much going on. And, and you know certainly with public, we don't have the kind of contest data that we would want to make sure we're doing apples to apples, but we can look at free throws. We got some uh, reporting from from our friend Josh Robbins uh, down in Orlando talking to some, some players and coaches about this. And, and they were like, yeah, it's weird. It's quiet. There's nobody there. There's nothing going on behind the backboard. On the free throw, you feel like a little self-conscious. Uh, and so I kind of was curious as to what's happening. Turns out if you look at just pairs of free throws to, again, make sure that you're looking at the same shooters to not like bias uh, in terms of guys who get three-shot fouls or and ones or stuff like that. Um, the front end is actually down a little bit. Uh, during the season, um, it, the, the front end of shots was was hit at 74.8%, uh, back end 79%. Usually there's a 35 to 4% difference between first shot, second shot, which is tangentially why you see coaches sometimes call out, call timeout between. Second shot, 79 outside the bubble, so far in the bubble, 82.5% on the second shot. Maybe there's that there's that uh those two things, the the weirdness but the good shooting background are kind of canceling themselves out on first free throws and on the second free throw, okay, now I'm comfortable. There's nothing going on. There's nobody waving thunder sticks behind the basket. There's it's a clean shooting background and guys are hitting 82 and a half percent. And by the way, uh the average free throw shooter is basically the same um from pre-bubble to in the bubble. Um, it's about 76.6 is about the, 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 the seasonal average of guys uh, taking these shots. So my question to you, Mo, is, is this a thing? Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting thing. I, th- I, I, <laughs> I, I think it is kind of a thing. The environment of the bubble is a, a weird thing. This is going to sound a bit stupid as well, as most of my comments do whenever we do these things. The home team with the 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 advertisement of when they miss two free throws in the fourth quarter and you get a free Chick-fil-A does increase the crowd noise. I'm not kidding. I've seen it so many times at Laker games. I mean, they almost get as loud as when Alex Caruso does something. So I think, you know, it's along those lines. Like the, the element of it being quiet is a weird environment, you know, and I think there's an adjustment period for these guys. I think we'll eventually see it normalized again i think everything gets to normal at some point i have a theory on this as someone who has taught a lot of people how to shoot free throws in games because it is different than shooting them in practice i think fans should stop being loud for opposing free throws i think they should be as quiet as possible to make it as awkward and weird for the shooter think about it you got twenty thousand people all their eyeballs are on you the shooter And they're not making a sound. The only thing you're going to hear is that clang if you shoot a brick. That, I think, is is, if you want to get in a shooter's head, 
at the line. That's the move, especially guys who are already a little shaky. You send Dwight Howard to the line in my house, I'm telling these guys to be quiet. Don't make a sound. Otherwise, with the, all the crowd noise and stuff, you're almost giving these guys a chance to just drown it out. All right, I've got all this white noise now. You know, they hear crowds all the time. They don't. What they don't experience is 20,000 people just staring at them quietly. It's so weird. I, I This is for fan bases going forward. Please adopt this. So that's it. I. That kind of aligns with some of the the, the quotes that, that we got out of there. Like uh, Nick Vucevic talked about, you know, you're in the in the flow of the game. The shot comes to you and you just shoot it. And it's when you're stopped, that's when you notice kind of the weirdness of the environment. And so what, you, what you're talking about is, is sort of along those lines. If everyone just kind of stood there and stared at the shooter like children of the corn, that, that, that could get weird. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny to hear him say that. This is an old story. This is when I used to work at USC before we had the Galen Center. We played out of the sports arena, which was a terrible place. But our big jumbotron was almost behind the backboard. And one of our best shooters would always kind of miss a free throw inexplicitly for, for whatever reason. Uh, a guy named Rory O'Neal. So the funny thing was I asked him once, I'm like, dude, what's the deal? We're at home. Like, why are you always kind of missing a random free throw here or there? And he said, it's because every now and then, as I'm getting ready to get in the shot and get going, I see myself in the scoreboard, you know, and that throws me off. And that's just that split second. And you guys know it. All it takes is just that lose that focus for one second. And that's the brick. So, you know, there's a whole variety of things, you know, I think there should be the virtual fans behind the basket should just kind of try to come up with something stupid uh, and see if they can't mess with the shooter here every now and then. Cause that's what they're seeing right behind them. You know, I don't know if it'll affect it or not, but have fun with it if you're a virtual fan. But I think there's a whole things. And I think it goes to what Vooch was telling you, Seth, in the sense of like, Hey, it's everything stops, you know, in the course of the game, you're pulling up for a jumper. You're not seeing the scoreboard and seeing yourself. You're looking at the rim. Whereas when you're shooting a free throw, the, score the jumbotron is almost kind of set up right by the rim so you could see it and it screws you up so just a small thing that to lose focus is all it takes for the virtual fans they should definitely just change their image to a photo of the the shooter that would be hilarious that would be a weird weird moment right yeah i i think i'm i'm all in on this just uh you know make me the head of game ops and really what i'm gonna do is do uh psyops on the opposition you put the shooter on the on the jumbotron on all the video screens. The crowd goes quiet, and even maybe do a pin drop sound. And, and, and any any team any team should be looking to hire Dave for that's right for free throws. <laughs> that's you know, right. I could just see Seth. I can't wait till we go to cover a game again in 2034. And you know, there's Dave just kind of orchestrating the crowd. You know, somebody goes silence. <laughs> You know, I, I can't wait for this. Should it be? Should it be the, the picture of the player or or Dave's mugshot? Which would oh, which would no. disturb you more? <laughs> I don't want. I, I listen. I want the guy to miss free throws. I don't want to scar him for life. So <laughs> just start playing like the brainwashing videos from you know like uh, maybe the one that they used on Blanca on Street Fighter Two in the movie. You know, with wow. never mind. Sorry. Wow. That's yeah. All right. Deep cut. <laughs> Guys. All right. So. All, uh, at the end of today, uh, I think every team will have played four games. I, I believe every team. Uh, every team at this point has played three or four games. 
The only undefeated teams in the bubble, we've got the Toronto Raptors, who look fantastic. We've got the Suns, who, you know, they're not good, but man, are they fun. Uh, and the Indiana Pacers, who are a pleasant surprise because, you know, with the Oladipo question marks, Sabonis being out, who has been their best player for most of the season, you know, this is a this is a nice surprise. So who are we overreacting to? Wins or losses. But who do you guys feel like we're overreacting about the most? I, I personally think it's the Lakers where people are extremely concerned about LeBron. I mean, I, I, I think LeBron is working his way into shape. Um, so the, the folks that are, you know, four games in saying, oh, man, I don't, I don't know about this. Just relax. But I want to go to you guys because, you know, you're my experts. So, Seth, who are we overreacting to? I, I think the Lakers, Clippers, Bucks are – they're the teams that packed for four months. And so they're not, they're not, you know, they're not breaking into the trail mix a weekend, I think is, is probably the, <laughs> the, uh, an analogy I'd use. So yeah, we're, we're we know we're going to be here a while. Let's, let's ease our yeah. way into it. Um, People I don't, call in- I don't think that there's anything you really need to, to read into it past that. People calling the bucks frauds for losing a game where they played their starters like 15 minutes. That tells you quite a bit about how much people are actually, you know, paying attention to what's happening on the court. Um, I, I do think that there are some concerns about the Bucks, but they're the same concerns that there were during the regular season. There's nothing that I'm seeing that's new out, out of the Bucks. Mo, who who are we overreacting to? I mean, Seth took three teams like he screwed me. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I think here's here's the deal, and this is going to piss people off. I think we might be overreacting to the Toronto Raptors. Whoa! Hang on. Now hold, hold on. on. Le- you can't let me. F- this is an overreaction from you before I can even get my point, Dave. This is what I'm talking. This is why people don't put their hot takes out on Twitter because they can't finish their points because everybody goes completely ballistic. Are you and nuts. telling me? Are you telling me that the Toronto Raptors aren't about to go eight and zero in the seeding games and then a sixteen zero run to a second championship in a row? Yeah, no, they're they're definitely going to do that. But I'm still going to be. hitting this drum as we go through the thing that worries me about the Raptors the Raptors are great like there's no question about it you know and I think they're what they've done defensively is phenomenal and everything I am always going to be concerned about their half-court offense and that's my thing and that's something I think that gets highlighted more in the playoffs than it does in the regular season and they've had some really good wins in this bubble right you know the Lakers who are kind of I'm not fully bought in 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 their how serious they are in this in terms of ramping up. You know, they had a good win against Miami. When I look at them in the last seven seconds of the shot clock, their percentages drop a lot. And that's everybody's. And at some point I have to talk to Seth and ask him about math. But, you know, everybody's does. But it feels like theirs drops the most. And the thing that they don't have that they had last year was a guy I 100% trusted to be able to get a shot off or create a shot for somebody else in Kawhi Leonard. And we can talk about Kyle Lowry and how good he's been. I don't buy that he's that guy. I don't buy that Pascal Siakam's that guy. This is a very heavy transition offense team, and they might be able to get a lot of that. But when we get to nut-cutting time in the playoffs, in the ga- in those specific games, that's my question. They are blitzing teams right now defensively. That's the one team that everyone is connected on every defensive possession right now. And you're right. They're they're taking advantage and getting these points in transition. And I do wonder when things slow down 
if they're going to struggle a little bit in half court. It's also when they are are you know second round and later in the playoffs, um, just when they're playing better offensive teams. You know, part of being a better offensive team is you end your offensive possessions in better situations. Either you've made a shot or if you've missed a shot, you haven't like committed a live ball turnover and you're in good floor balance. Um, so the teams, you know, the the, the tautology you like to go with on the show is teams that are better are better. And so when they play against these better teams, they have fewer of these opportunities to employ their 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 full court offense. And yeah, then they get into the situation Mo is talking about where they do have kind of a, a dearth of of shot creation against set defense. And that's I think that's why all season the Raptors have been really good at beating up on on you know middling and lower teams and really pretty mediocre against the top teams in the league. And that's with or without Marcus All. So what team, aside from Toronto, are you guys actually worried about? For me, it's the Mavericks, who I expected to, to perform better. Their defense is just – I mean, it's, it's not an NBA defense at all. It's, nowhere it's, close. Not even, it's not even that. They're just shooting so bad. That, well, it, that too, but their defense is not doing them any favors. Yeah, but it never was. You know, I never <laughs> felt like their defense was something that I was really kind of like, okay, this is going to help the Mavs. I, I – I did. You guys would be proud of me. I actually did like homework and set up stats, and then of course I put the pages away. Um, but they're shooting below thirty percent in the bubble. You know, they're twenty ninth. The other team shooting worse than them is the Lakers. At they're shooting twenty fifth, twenty five percent. Sorry, um, it, it, it's it's they're really struggling with their shot, and I think it goes back to something we talked about last episode about the Mavs too. As good as Luca is, as good as Porzingis is, they're easy to stop. You know, and I think that's the stuff that you find a way to to slow down Luca and make things difficult for him, and it's an issue all around for the team. So this kind of goes to Seth's homogeneous. Uh, I hope I said that right. Please tell me I said that right. Uh, offense kind of becoming a this is this is the, the strikes against that heliocentric. Same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, homogenous is a different. Uh, I, I will. Sorry, guys. I, you know, so it's, 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 it's you know, it's uh, all right. Morning. So, so what adjustments do a you know a team like the Mavs that just you know they can't add anybody? Seth Curry's kind of in and out of the lineup. That's their big adjustment is having Seth Curry completely healthy and out there. They missed him at the end of games. What adjustments can they make? Or, or is this just a, this is who they are, and they're just going to have to do their best? I mean, this, this is who they are to me. I don't know how much, you know, the make more shots is, is my, is goes <laughs> along with my favorite coaching as long as, as well as yelling out rebound. So, you know, it's, uh, this is who they are this season. They've made a leap this season. We should be excited about what they've done, but they're st- they still have a lot of work to do as a team and to build and to continue to grow to get to that next level. You know, we all thought they were going to be fighting for a playoff spot at the beginning of the season, you know, and now it's, you know, they're, they're solidly in. We don't have to worry about them having to drop into the play playoff game. Any other teams that really need to make some adjustments that just things that are kind of glaring to you? I mean, we're worried about Utah, right? Or we just, we had, we just kind of, we've written them off. Yeah. I think, I think they're just, they, you want to talk about a team that looks completely disconnected. The, the jazz do not look good. I mean, you know, the Grizzlies are without their best player and, and hung in there the entire game. Now, with that being said, I think the Grizzlies unique transition style 
kind of puts Utah in a, in a weird spot. But still, I mean, you've got to be able to hammer the Grizzlies right now. And Utah just just clearly couldn't do it. I, I, I'm not worried about them at all. Matter of fact, every team in the bubble in the West is probably trying to get the five, the four or five seed right now so that they can face Utah in the first round. I'd rather face Utah than Portland. Any other, that's, the team, that's the team you want to play. And that's something we knew when Bogdanovich went down, right? Like we were all like, okay, their scoring is going to go down. This is going to be an issue for them. You know, as soon as he went out, I was just like, man, that's a first round out. And, and, and I say that respectfully knowing that my boy Joe Ingles is on that team and, you know, my Australian mate, but, uh, it's just what it is. It's they don't have the firepower after that. The whole reason why they got McDonavich was to add offensive firepower. And Jordan Clarkson's not going to do that for you off the bench. As we, as we wrap up, let's look ahead to the second week of seeding games and just this, the things that you guys are looking for as we approach the playoffs. Seth, I'm going to start with you. Uh, what are the big things you're going to be taking note of as these teams really start to hopefully round their rotations into shape for the first round of the playoffs? The main thing I'm looking at is how interesting the the race for the 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 eight nine is in the West. Um, I think it's wide open. Um, I think the only team that we can really write off at this point is Sacramento, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and even I mean, even that, you know, who knows what could happen? They're mathematically still right there, but um, we we you know Phoenix has been one of the more impressive teams in in the bubble uh, from the start of the scrimmages. Really, um, San Antonio. Uh, has certainly been you like what you've seen from from the young young players there. Portland's been 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 great. Um, you know, Memphis started with such a such a such a lead that, that that they still are right there, even though they've been kind of dreadful so far and have been snake bit. Uh, and New Orleans is still right there and and has a you know has the complete control of their own destiny schedule. So it's just those teams just really battling it out. I mean, I think that's. When you set this bubble up and you invited all these teams, you couldn't have hoped for it to work out better than that in terms of making these games exciting and meaningful into the into the second week. Yeah, to piggyback off that, Seth, like I've never seen an 0-3 team look, you know, as play as hard and go as hard as Sacramento. Like they've they're playing, like they're doing their 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 best and they're rolling in these things and they're fighting in each of these games. San Antonio probably deserved a little more love from us in the uh what surprised us so far kind of thing with how well the young guys are playing. And, you know, if it's not for a defensive mistake from DeJounte Murray, they probably beat the Sixers in our, you know, three and one and right in the mix. It's going to be interesting. I'm very concerned about Memphis dropping completely out of the whole play in picture with just the Jaron Jackson injury, the whole thing, you know, it's, it's, it's a problem and with that schedule, but as for what I'm watching, Dave, you know, I just want to watch and see how teams ramp up, especially the three teams we talked about, the Lakers, the Bucks, and the Clippers, who haven't looked all that sharp. Are they going to start to ramp up going into the playoffs, or are they going to just kind of look at using the first round as the the, the ramp-up games for them? Because if the Lakers play Portland in the first round, you're not going to use that as a ramp-up period. That's going to be you better have been ramped and ready to roll. Yeah, th- there's no break in the first round for the Lakers if it's Portland. Uh, for me, I'm actually watching the other races in the in the West. The the two and three, they're only a half game separating as we as we record, and then four, five, and six are are just jumbled. And there's a good chance that Oklahoma City winds up as the four seed, which is just, I mean, absolutely shocking 
when so many people thought they wouldn't even be competing for a playoff spot. Now, part of that was, you know, thinking that they were going to sell off pieces and, and things like that. But still, um, you know, I think that after this season, we should all take a minute and just uh, reconsider what Chris Paul did this year in Oklahoma City. I think that it's one of his best seasons in totality, maybe not uh, individual stats, but I think from leadership, his crunch time stuff, uh, the way he fit in with the guys on the court, um, you know, this is a really, really great season from a guy who is criminally underrated, I think. The mentorship aspect of that is, is I think, really important. Um, Oklahoma City isn't kind of putting this this run together by, you know, grinding with veterans the way that maybe, uh, uh, or, uh, you know, Orlando might be. Um you look in the bubble, the only team that has played a bigger proportion of their minutes with guys in uh, 22 and younger is the kind of the, the fake wizards. Almost half of, of uh, the, the Thunder's minutes so far have gone to, to their young guys. Uh, and I think that's a testament to, uh, first of all, Sam Presti for spotting guys, to uh, Billy Donovan for bringing guys along and trusting them. And for Chris Paul for for leading them, and then also you have to say for Shea Gilgeous Alexander for being really quite good. Yeah, um, very so, talented. So <laughs> I think I mean I think that's a, if you want to for a team that probably doesn't have a whole lot of of deep run potential in this year's playoffs, you want to you want to put them and maybe Phoenix as the teams that are are really getting the most out of this experience. Yeah. You know, I mentioned this on Twitter yesterday. Uh, so often when talking about Chris Paul and the Thunder, people mention, you know, Chris Paul is a mentor and, you know, they ask Shay what he's learned from from Chris. And I really want to talk to Chris and ask him what he's learned from the young guys, because these guys coming in now have parts of their game that just weren't a thing when when Chris Paul came into the league. And I'm curious if he's picking up tricks because I, I feel like he's he's gotten even more deceptive, especially in the pick and roll. Like he's always been really great about snaking that pick and roll and, and getting what he wants out of it. But it's almost I don't know his his timing has improved or maybe he's just you know continues to get better. I don't know. But Chris Paul I think had a special season and, and especially at his age. And that's my favorite story right now in the bubble is how well Oklahoma City is just playing as, as a team. And because uh, it was unexpected, I really thought they were going to come in the bubble and potentially struggle a little bit just because of the layoff and, and how young they are. But man, they, they've been good. That's going to do it for this week, folks. Don't forget that you can comment on the episodes in the app at The Athletic. Go and do that. Don't forget theathletic.com slash NBA show for 40% off. $2.99 a month is a pretty good price. For Seth, for Mo, I'm Dave DeFore. We'll talk to you guys next week.